just feel the presence of the Lord come through that. Amen. And uh, wonderful, wonderful. You just can't go wrong um, blessing the Lord. Blessing the Lord is the right thing, the good thing. I want to go this morning into uh, the word of the Lord. Today we're going to uh, talk about a subject that has been preached on many times, but I think the Lord has just kind of led us into even a little different meaning, Uh, some enlightenment in the scripture on this certain subject. And the subject is what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so we're going to go uh, to the book of Matthew and read some scripture out of Matthew and then one scripture out of the book of John. So if you have your Bibles ready, we'll be going to the 8th chapter, the book of Matthew, the 18th verse. The 8th chapter, verse 18, through uh, this segment, 22. And seeing great crowds around him, Jesus gave orders to go away to the other side, actually to depart to the other side. And one, a scribe, coming near, said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you may go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes. The birds of heaven have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere that he may lay his head. And another of his disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go away and to bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. The same thing that he said to the previous man. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. I want to pick up another scripture in the book of Matthew, the uh, 10th chapter, 38th verse. You might want to make note of this or underline it if you wish. Matthew 10, 38, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Again, in Matthew, uh, the 19th chapter, 28th verse, 19th chapter, 28th. I just wanted to throw this one in there because it has to do with the subject. And Jesus said to them, truly I say unto you, you have followed me, you who have followed me in the regeneration yet to come. When the Son of Man sits on his throne in in his glory, you also will sit on 12 tribes, excuse me, 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And I got one more that I'd like to go to, John, uh, the uh, eighth chapter of John, the 12th verse. The eighth chapter and the 12th verse. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He following me will in no way walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. 
I want to talk this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. I don't think we have a time lapse here so that the Lord just only spoke to these Jewish men, the disciples, to follow him. But one of our favorite verses, we go to Luke 9, 23, and if anyone desires, if anyone desires, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. And so I don't believe it just to the Jew. I believe this is a time, timeless statement. It's for us, it's for the church, it's for anyone who desires to follow after him. Can everybody say amen to that? So the scripture is speaking to us this morning. So I don't want to distance it as though it's speaking to somebody else. The scripture is speaking to us. And shall we pray and just open our hearts right now. Lord, we just ask you now for an anointing to come, anointing on the speaking, anointing on the hearing. Lord, that we'd have an elevated word, that a discourse that would touch the deepness of our heart, and at the same time that our hearts would be receptive to hear and to follow the instruction that you give us, Lord. And we pray that after hearing this word, we'll go out of here this morning just even more enthused, even more, Lord, to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. The Lord gives this directive, follow me, over many times and, and just directly saying the word follow me, but he also encouraged those to follow him so many times in the New Testament. But this, this one direct clause is around 20 times, follow me. And we think of the Lord and we think follow me. What is he saying to those people and, and what does he mean to them in follow me? So in the opening text, we have a certain man, the book of Luke said it this way, and a certain man. But I like what Matthew said because he went beyond that a little bit to describe the man that came to Jesus. Now, this man came to Jesus on his own. The Lord didn't go out looking for him and try and call him in to be his disciple. But this man came looking for Jesus, and he was a scribe. The man being a scribe was a teacher of the Old Testament. He was a teacher of the law. There were different positions. There were the scribes who were studiers of the grammar of the law. Then there were the lawyers who were those who had opinions about the law and they studied the law continually. And this scribe not only studied the law, but he also studied the Psalms. He studied the prophets. He was well versed in the scripture. This man comes to Jesus. He's not just a certain man but I believe this is a setup like many of the things that the Lord does, that this man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Master. And that kind of caught my attention because if he is a teacher and he's looking at Jesus as being something even beyond what he is, he knows the Lord is a teacher and he's a teacher, but he knows that the Lord is a master teacher. And so we go to the definition of this word is a didaskalos. It means an instructor acknowledged for their mastery in their field of learning. In scripture, a Bible teacher or competent in theology. And so he comes to Jesus 
not just uh, as a peer, let's say. You're a teacher, I'm a teacher. But he comes to Jesus to submit himself to the Lord, and, and he makes this statement, wherever you depart to, the Lord had just said, let's depart from here, and we're going to go across the lake. And told his, directed his disciples to do that. And this man comes running up and says, wherever you depart to, I'll go with you. I want to be with you, and I want to follow you. And so the man has something more than just to follow Jesus to a certain place. Because of this title, teacher and master, I believe this goes further. This is, this is not as shallow as just tagging along with somebody. But this is about not just a physical destination to follow the Lord too, but I believe there's a much, much deeper meaning when Jesus said to him, listen, I don't have a place to call home. The birds of the air, they have nests. And, and just comparing to, you know, nature itself. And everything has a resting place. But I don't have a place that I would call my residence. And so if you're going to follow me, there's no good following me to find where I live. It just isn't going to work because I don't have that kind of a residence. And I think Jesus is showing something here in talking back to this scribe in the way that he did. I believe he's showing him that that following me is not about a town. It's not about a destination. It's not about a place. And it's not about a residence. But following Jesus is something much deeper than just following where he went. And so we look in the New Testament all these times that Jesus said, come and follow me. And I'm like you. I'm thinking they just, hey, they need to leave their family they need to leave their stuff, leave their jobs, and they're just going to walk along and follow behind Jesus wherever he goes. And that's kind of the sense that we get. But really, I think it's deeper than that. And I think spiritually, there's something to be said here because the Lord wants us to follow him. But pastor, how do I follow him? What do I do? Do I go back to the holy lands? And do I walk where he walked? Is that what I need to do to follow Jesus? And of course not. That isn't what we do. But this, this meaning that the Lord is laying out there doesn't mean to just follow him to a town or a place. Don't just follow him to another ministry. Don't just follow him on to another, another destination. But it goes so much deeper than that. When he says, follow me, I believe he's talking about something that is heavy and spiritual that he wants to impart in our life. Take up your cross and follow me. It's something we all think. And we're going to get to the cross this morning. The cross, the cross is ugly. It was meant to be ugly. The cross is a place of dying. It's a place of agony. It's a, it's a place of suffering. And oftentimes you may have wondered, I've had this question before presented, why did the Lord die on a cross? Why didn't he die a different way? They could have executed him with a sword. There's a lot of different options. But the Lord lays out a cross because the cross has to do with not just him, but his followers. And I think about the cross and the measure of, of pain and trouble and agony. And does the Lord want that pain and trouble and agony for us? Well, in a sense, I don't say physically. If the Lord says, take up your cross and follow me, I don't think he means that you're going to be crucified physically in the next destination. 
But I do believe that the cross is something that attaches Christ and his church. That the cross is not just a, just a, a word to say, just a call word for, for our religious effort. It isn't just a little trinket that we wear around our neck or, or some of the ladies wearing their ears. Maybe it's to remind you of the cross, but, but that cross really in itself has no power. It's the Christ of the cross and the identification of the cross filters down from the Christ himself to his followers. I believe and, and preach that, that the ultimate goal in our life is to become Christ's life. Can everybody say amen to that? That we're to come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ and oh, how we sing songs, I want to be like Jesus and, and do what he did. But yet when it comes to the cross, it seems like to us that that's a stopping place. That's a holding place. I've heard a few preachers talk about Jesus paid it all and you don't need to bear a cross because the Lord bear a cross. And I say this, God in his flesh bared his cross or bore his cross, but he will not bear yours. You must take up your cross and follow Jesus. And so this take up your cross and follow me, I believe in a sense it, it means don't get too comfortable with the place that you're in right now because the Lord's going to call you to come up a little further. That verse I just quoted about daily, there's, there's something about the cross, but, but I don't know daily what's going to happen in my life with that cross. And don't get too comfortable with the place of revelation that you've been living in because the Lord is going to call you to a new place of knowledge and wisdom in Him. And I've kind of been preaching along this subject, following the preceding word and prophetic word of Christ, but, but it's just like us to get in a place, and it's good, and it's comfortable, and we fit there, and it just feels nice, and that's where I'm going to live. That's where I'm going to maintain. I'm just, I've got there now. I'm just going to maintain this. But the call goes out daily. Take up your cross and follow me. But yet it doesn't seem like, Lord, I, I'm in a good place. I don't, I don't need to move. I don't need anything different. Lord, you've done so much in my life. But this, this work that God is doing in us, and I believe it's a progressive work. Do you believe God is doing a progressive work in your life? Or do you believe you come to the altar one time and you say a prayer and that's where you get it all and you're good to go? And I believe that, that that's the starting point. I just believe that that's where it all begins to happen. But from that point, God is calling you and he's calling you. And it's a daily thing, a daily work that he's doing in your life. And thank God for that because I'm not complete. If I look at myself and my mistakes then I say, God, you failed because I'm not complete. But I'll tell you this. I know that God is doing a good work in me. He has begun a good work. He will continue it until the day of his coming. That means to me there is hope for each one of us. We can't live in the past experiences even though they were good. And I like to say this at times because Paul looked at his life and the past things. He had had some wonderful past. And he said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I have to press every day. 
Because if I want to live where I've been blessed, I don't hear the voice of the Lord anymore saying, come up with me, follow me. Following is an action. Following is something, it's a verb that you, you do. You, you come after, you're alongside, you're with. And so this action word doesn't stop at one time daily. We are there and we are, we are touched and we are moved. But then the next day comes along and the Lord is still calling, come and follow me. And so in prayer and study and fellowship, we keep this clean house where we abide with him right now. And that's all good. You need to keep your house clean. You need to walk right in the revelation that you're in right now. Certainly don't go backwards. If you go backwards and rebuild the things that you once destroyed, you come into sinfulness in your life. So the Lord teaches us we don't digress, but we progress. I cannot digress. We sing that song, I won't go back. I'm not going back. I can't go back. Because if you start the trail back, where are you going to stop? The trail goes forward. The following goes forward. The following doesn't go backwards. The following goes every day, Lord. I'm following after you forward, and I'm gaining ground. It might be inch by inch. It might take me a little while to get where I'm going, but thank God I'm still in a forward mode in my life. If you look at me, I'm not dead and stiff and standing, but, but God, thank you that we're moving along in our spiritual walk towards him. Can you say amen? So we have this type in the Old Testament of God speaks to Moses, build a tabernacle before me and do it after the pattern that I have shown you. And if you do it after the pattern I've shown you, my glory, my presence will come and be in that tabernacle with you. And so Moses builds exactly the way the Lord said. And then this, the presence of God and the cloud, what they called the shuk. Shekinah cloud of glory came into that place, but God resided there. Can you imagine the first time that they erected that tabernacle? It all came down, but they, they put it up that first, very first time. And can you imagine the glory and awe? Can you imagine what the people felt when they saw the cloud of glory come out of nowhere and hover over that place and in that do you imagine in your heart with me that this is holy ground right here? This is where God lives. And there's a lot of people, and some of them they call God chasers. They're trying to find where God lives. But, but as the example of the Old Testament, God said when the cloud lifts and when the fire, the pillar of fire, when it begins to move, then I want Israel to pack it up take down the tabernacle, we've got another place to go because God is a preceding God. He's not going to stay just right there at salvation. He's not going to stay at the first work that you've ever done in your life. He's not going to keep you at the place where you're repenting all the time. Come on and say amen. At that, but he's going to tell you to take it down and to follow him. Well, in the New Testament, let me bring the allegory. It's the cross. We don't take down a tabernacle. The cross has been erected there. And something died there. But then the Lord says we're not going to stay at that place. We're going on just a little bit further. 
So take up your cross and follow me to another place. And Israel takes everything down. And they're marching across the hot desert. They don't know where they're going. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. But they're looking at the cloud. And when the cloud stops and the fire stops, they know this is the place Moses says, get it out again. Start over again. Erect that tabernacle again. And we're going to worship God here. And they worship God there. And the glory of God is in the place. And the glory of God is in the Holy of Holies. Until the next time God says, take it down. We're going somewhere else. See, God doesn't want them to get staled and stop where they are just in an old blessing and an old thing. He's got something just beyond where you're at right now. And it's called the glory of God in your life. It's called the cross that you bear that Jesus has you take and bear with you. And when you get to that destination, there is going to be glory there. Can you say amen? Revival and renewal, redirection, revelation, none of that is found in a geographical location. In the Old Testament, Bethel, when Jacob stopped at Bethel and he felt God's presence wrestled there, set up a memorial there, left out of there and named it Bethel, this is the house of God. But see, God wasn't just there waiting for Jacob to come back. But God was working in his life the whole time. As he went down to a foreign land, God was showing his provision there. As he came back, come to his place, come to his country, God is showing a provision there. And if he's going to live at Bethel, he will not be able to conduct what God has planned out and purpose for his life and for his family and for the children of Israel can't just stand at Bethel. They have to obtain what God has opened for them in front of them. And so that renewal and, and that, that refreshing and that revelation that we felt at one time and one place, and, and I know it was there, that must be the house of God. That must be the lucky place. And we can look all over the place for revivals and find good places that God is really moving in. I want you to know something this morning that you can sit in your chair and not move one inch and you can follow Jesus with all your heart and you will find him just as real exactly where you're sitting this morning as you would anywhere on the face of this earth. Because revival is not about a geographical location. It's about a following of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, you know, how in this day, how do we follow? It's in spiritual willingness. You've got this potential where you sit. And I think about this sometime, God, you can do anything in my life where I sit today. The music doesn't have to be at a certain crescendo, and we love it playing music this morning it filled the house and worship was filling the house and we love it but I want you to know this morning that following Jesus is not about music following Jesus 
It's not about a right setting, a right thing, and then suddenly, you know, I can get it all. But following Jesus is about an open heart. It's about an open spirit. It's about an open life that says, Lord, where you lead me, I am going to follow you there. Let's get away from a minute from from following to a location. Let's get away from that for just a minute in our mind and follow him in our spirit. It's easier. It would be easier for me if, if the Lord said to me, if you go down over on, on the street here in Anderson and, and a certain spot and you get in that spot now and that's where the glory is going to come, that would be easier for me than following him in my will. There's something about following Jesus in my will that, that really shakes me up. And I don't think that when the Lord tells his men to follow him, all of these disciples to follow him, that he's going to set them in a certain place, even though they did go to places where God was moving. And I don't see the early church ever going back, having church meeting on the Mount of Transfiguration just because the Lord spoke there, but he did speak there. But in essence, what he said there was hear the voice of the Son calling to you. And so it wasn't that place so much. Will his disciples, will they ever become the fishers of men? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Jesus says. Does that mean walk along beside me and go to Capernaum with me? And then after we leave Capernaum, we'll go down to Nain. And there they'll raise a, a young man from the dead and get out of there and they'll go back down to Judea and they'll get in Jerusalem and they'll go by Bethany. Does it mean just follow me to those places and then you're going to be transformed in your life? No, the meaning of following him is not about getting to a location. The meaning of following him is about our will. It's about our will that says, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Like the scribe said, wherever you have called me to go, wherever you depart to, I will go. But not in the flesh, in the spirit, in the will. In this man who has, has so much desire to do other things and, and, and the Lord is calling us, he's calling us to follow him. By following the Lord, the Lord refers to a total transformation that will ensue in us and them as they heard his teaching. And I always thought, and the, and the, and the, and the man in another gospel said, Lord, I want to follow you. And uh, here again, that my father, I want to bury him. And the Lord says, no, no, just let the dead bury the dead. That's not being mean to him and saying to him, I don't want you to bury your relatives. That's not what that's about at all. That's about come and follow me where I'm at. And I like that because Jesus said, where I am, my disciples will be. The transformation that God wants to do in our life doesn't come by getting to a location. It comes by humbling our heart before him and following him in his way. Now listen, how could these old crusty fishermen, Peter and John, who were following Jesus, how could they ever stand in front of the Jewish Supreme Court and confound it? I don't know if you've read that in, in Acts 4. After the healing of the lame man, they came and arrested John and Peter and put them in front of 
the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Court, Jewish Supreme Court. And there Peter and John began to talk, and it confounded them to the place that they had to set Peter and John outside and talk about it among themselves. They couldn't even get a straight judgment because it confounded. How does that happen? By them going to Capernaum and them going to Judea with Jesus and watching miracles? No, it happens by the transformation of the teaching that Jesus did in their life and they followed him in regeneration in their life. They became a different person than just a fisherman. They became a person who was anointed. They became a person who was close to the Lord, not in proximity of geography, but they were close to him in spirit. Can you say amen? I think it's time that we begin to realize That following Jesus is more than just trying to get into the right house. It's more than just trying to trying to find him in a certain place, but following Jesus transforms our life and that alone. Not current trends and approaches, new approaches to the gospel, new, new trends and new ideas, but just the same old following Jesus that he just got one central command for his church, and that is to follow me. Now I want to look at the man Paul for a minute, and I want to see him in his life, and then I want to talk about us a little bit. I'm kind of trying to build a foundation here. And so, Paul probably was there in Acts 4. He probably was one who was on the council in Acts 4. And Saul of Tarsus, who we know was of the Sanhedrin. So probably when they convened against Peter and John, probably Paul was there. Saul then, when... when uh, Stephen was stoned, Saul was there. And so I'm going to have to put him in the midst of this thing. And, and so he's, he's a man that, you know, wrote most of the New Testament. But before he began to follow Jesus, he had these qualities of religion. He was brutally zealous for the Jewish cause which made him really work out well as the poster boy for the Pharisees. He was the up-and-coming guy. They were going to put a lot of hope and trust in him. He had degrees of education that were astounding. In fact, he stood before the king, and after he got done speaking to the king, the king said this, too much learning has made you crazy. Now, I understand that. We've got a lot of college professors that are that way. They've learned too much and their mind went on the brink. But Paul was so educated. And, and I really like this because, because the Lord says about him, I have chosen him. But he's chosen him for a special cause. And we know that of the 12 disciples, Judas is gone. They replaced him with Matthias. But, but God has chosen Paul. And Paul is both a Jew and a Roman citizen, and that's designed by God too. He knew the law, the Old Testament doctrine, as well as any man who was there. 
He's on his way to do more good works for God. What he thinks is right, what he sees in the law, and he's going to persecute those who honor this one called Jesus. And we know the story that he was struck to the ground. He hears the voice. He sees the light. And light and revelation always go together in the Scripture. The great light, the great light of revelation. And, and God brings light upon something. He reveals on something. And, and so uh, Paul is being revealed to, and he's on the ground. He's wondering who it is that has done this to him and asks, Sir, who are you? And he says, Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And now go down to Damascus, and he's going to wait there for a man called Ananias to come and pray with him. And this man, Ananias, God has spoke to him to go down to Paul and say, Paul, you're going to suffer many things for the Lord's cause. Three days earlier, a few days earlier, this man is breathing out threatenings and hatred towards Jesus Christ. He hates Jesus Christ. Hates everything about the church. Hates the people of the church. Putting them in prison, leading them to death. He knows nothing about the revealed Christ, even though he understands the whole Old Testament. He knows nothing about the revealed Christ. He has not followed the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, something changes in his life, and I believe he gets the same call that the other 11 disciples got. Follow me. Something happens to him in his heart. You never know what happens in a man's heart and the hardness that was there. Murder was there. He said it himself. He said, I murdered the church. And that hardness that was in him is overcome by the power of Jesus Christ. And he opens himself, but then he determines in his heart to begin to follow Jesus. And the thing I like about this, God had set him up. And some of you God set up. God had trained him, allowed him to be trained, allowed him to understand much learning, allowed him to have inroads with the Jews because God had chose him to follow Jesus. And so what's going to happen is, uh, like this, just uh, Acts the ninth chapter, just down a few verses now. The 20th verse, he says, And at once proclaim Christ in the synagogues, that this one is the Son of God. Now listen, what happens when you begin to follow Jesus is you turn from everything else. You turn from your old life, your old learning. And he that's in Christ Jesus, he began to follow after the things of God and not after the things of flesh. And Paul turns his whole life, begins to turn. And then I like the 22nd verse, he said, and he confounded the Jews living in Damascus, proving that this one Jesus is the Christ. He was doing everything he could to prove he was not the Christ. Just days earlier, he set out to do everything he can to deny that Jesus, he's just an imposter. He's just a person that came to claims, another one that claims to be the Christ. And he's not the Christ. And he's going out to arrest those that believe he is to indoctrinate Jews. But all of a sudden, by the power of Jesus Christ, he is transformed to following Jesus Christ. And when he begins to follow Jesus Christ, the revelation of God opens up in the scripture. Everything he knew 
was turned completely upside down. And what he thought Christ was not, he was. And what he thought Christ was, he was not. And the God that he thought he served and didn't know. And now all the change in his life has brought him to following Jesus Christ. And revelation begins to pour out in his spirit. He never had any revelation before. The Jews had no revelation before. But at the receiving and following of Jesus Christ, now revelation begins to come into his life. Can you imagine him? He has spent his whole life going in one direction. And just in a few moments of time, he is completely turned around and he's headed in another direction. What direction is he in now? He's following Jesus. His life is now in Christ. I'm telling you what, without Paul, I wonder what we'd be reading sometime to the church. Paul, in inspiration, he said, I got some things revealed to me, but it wasn't by anybody else. It was by the power of Jesus Christ. When he began to follow Christ, let me tell you this morning, when you begin to follow him, God is going to begin to reveal some things to you. You're going to begin to understand some things you never knew. And what you thought yesterday, God is going to pour over it today. And what you think today, God is going to pour over it tomorrow. And there's a freshness and newness in the revelation power of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. A Jew hating Jesus with all of his heart to saying this. He, Jesus, is before all things and all things consist in him. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he may be preeminent in all things because in him was all the fullness determined to dwell and all the fullness of the godness dwells in him bodily. What a transformation has taken place in a person who did not follow Jesus to the point they do follow Jesus. He begins to understand who the Lord really is. Can you say amen? What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. Just by following the preceding word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John 12, the 8th, or 8th chapter and 12th verse. I'm the light, and the one following me will have the light. Not the one who stops and stands. Not the one who gets comfortable where they're at. For those people, I would say, as a pastor looking at that, the light generally begins to dim. The revelation they did have kind of grows old. But to the ones that are following him, there's light. And where there's light, there is revelation. They walk together. Light and revelation walk together. It's an enlightenment of the scripture of who he is. It's an enlightenment of the person of Jesus Christ in our life. And again, light and revelation, they walk hand in glove. They're hand in hand. You want revelation? Light has got to come. A lighting of the way, a lighting of the word, a lighting of an understanding in your life. 
a great enlightenment, the great light which came down on the Via Maris down from Capernaum to Jerusalem on the King's Highway was called the great light in the Old Testament because revelation is walking down that road. Not just a beam of light, but the revealed God in flesh and in person is walking down the road. And there we see him in all of his grandeur and light and beauty because of his revelation light of who he is. I really have to question. I want to talk about the cross a little bit in us. And I have to question the, the use of terms that speak loosely of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Some call it believers. Ask somebody about how somebody's doing. Oh, well, they're a believer. Well, what does that mean to me? It's not much better than a devil. Scripture said the demons believe and tremble. To believe on Jesus is not enough. He's got a command, and it's called follow me. And then there's loosely, people want to talk about following Jesus kind of loosely. To me, it means they're sort of at a distance with him, maybe not fully persuaded of him, not fully persuaded that this life is going to cost us something. See, the, the most desirable um, Christianity is that which costs us nothing. It's desirable to think that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, which is absolutely the truth. But for, for me to walk frivolously, for me to just stand in a place and say that I've got it all, my, my ticket is punched, it's not the following through that the Lord has commanded for his followers, his church. But you must follow him every day. To each one of us, we started following him to his cross. And thank God for his cross. I couldn't forgive my sins. And neither could you. No matter what you did, no matter what you tried, you couldn't forgive your sins or quit your sinning. But we found a cross of Christ. And we find the cross holding the salvation for our life. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we kneel at that cross. And that cross that he bore, again, that attachment to the cross is also the Christ follower's attachment to a cross. And Jesus, there he pays the debt that he didn't know. There he delivers us from the power of sin. There he delivers us from the effect of sin, from the power and the effect, and cleans us and gives us a clean slate. And by the power of the cross, we stand here this morning. We are clean and free and whole and blessed. We are new in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. I, I heard the song yesterday, and I like that part that said that all is well. Uh, is, is it well with your soul? And, and it says in that one part, he took our sin not in part, but he took it in whole. He didn't take a little bit of my sin there and a little there and forgive it, but he washed us and he cleansed us and he cleaned us as white as snow. And that, that to me is not replaceable by anything that I can do. But now that I have come there to his cross, that's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and understanding in Christ Jesus.
forgiveness. It's just a basic understanding and knowledge of Christ. Then Paul goes on to say, and we were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not us, but Christ lives in us. And I think about the glory and the blessing and the goodness. There isn't anything better than feeling feeling like you've been forgiven. To know that it's been lifted off of you. So, Pastor, how, how do I know that? I'm taking his word for it. That's the one I'm following, and I'm taking his word for it. And if he says anyone comes unto me, I will no wise cast, then I'm going to have to believe that. And I believe that I was one of those. And the glory and the blessedness and the closeness that we have felt at the cross. But we don't get to stay right there. We have to move on and follow him. And so this is where the problem comes in for us. We hear his voice, take up your cross and follow me. And we thought the cross thing was over. Because the picture of the cross is a horrible sight. It's dying in agony. It doesn't seem like, thank you, Lord, you did it that one time, and now cross things are over. That's what we'd like to think. But the Lord said, I bore my cross. You're going to bear yours daily. So, Lord, what does that mean? And I've thought about that. I've even preached about that before, and I hope I have some new thought for you. Infused into the thought of the cross is what Jesus felt as a man. To surrender to the pain of death. That's what's in a cross. You don't take a cross to a potluck supper. You don't take a cross out to play ball. You take a cross to a place of death. So, but let me stop for just a moment and say this, that even though the early church had many martyrs, and across the world right now there are martyrs, and they feel the pain of physical death. For you and I sitting here this morning, I want to make it uh, relative to where we're at. So far, our government hasn't started crucifying Christians. It is possible. We think that's a, that's a stretch. Wow. You know, the, when, but when freedoms come down, guess what's attacked first? The world didn't like him, and the world is not going to like you. And so that may happen. But I would say for this sermon here relative this morning is you're probably not going to feel that part of the cross. There have been generations and generations of Christians that have lived and died here in this glorious country of America, and we thank God for it. So the chances of your dying on a physical cross is probably pretty slim. But yet there's something that we see about the cross that doesn't have anything to do with this body. It has to do with my will. Jesus is not in Gethsemane sweating great drops of of sweat and blood and crying out, 
just because of the physical body. It's the will of man where we struggle. My will versus what God wants in my life. We get to a place of the cross. And the Lord's saying, take up your cross and follow me. This is where I am. This is where I was. This is where I experienced. So I want to be like Jesus. Well, then take up your cross. And we begin to follow him because God is going to deal with the will of man. God is dealing with the will of the man Christ Jesus in the cross. Now the Lord goes to the garden and there he begins to cry. Father, if it be thy will, let it pass from me. If it is possible that the cross can pass from me. Let's do this another way if it's possible. Because the will of the flesh never wants to go to the cross. And let me say this this morning. That your flesh is not what's running you. It's your will that's running you. Your flesh is only doing what your will tells it to do. We've had some preaching on the will here just recently. And it was good. And we received that. But this will is so strong in us. And this is where the battle is for us. And we can hear the Lord saying, come up, come up with me. Come on and follow me. There's something in your life that needs to be crucified. There's something in your life that needs to change. You've been there a long time and it's growing old and you need a refreshing in your life. I want you to come up up with me. Lord, where are we going? We're going to a little hill out here and we're going to set up a cross and you're going to die there and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly. You're going to be kicking and fighting but your will has got to die at that place and if you're not willing to follow him and listen to him and take up your cross and follow him out to that place, you will never change in your walk. You'll continue to either stay where you're at or digress. And so the Lord says daily, well, it's today. I don't know today what's going to happen today. Take up your cross. No. I was just getting good where I'm at. The Lord said, uh, take up your cross and follow me. We're going to another place. Just like old Israel out in the desert. I'm not going to let you stay there too long because you're getting too comfortable there. I want you to take that cross now, get it out of that hole, put it on your back, and you start following me. We're going to another place where we're going to crucify the will again. And we lickety-split get into the Garden of Gethsemane, all of us. And we begin to pray the same prayer that the Lord prayed. Lord, if it's possible... Let this pass from me. The problem is, some of us get stuck in Gethsemane. We never leave the garden because we don't want to face the cross. Man, it hurts. Man, it's pain. I don't want my will to be broken. 
I don't want what I've followed all these years and what I've thought all these years and all my impressions and everything that I'm about, my habits, my, my way of life. I don't want that changed. I like how I am. And the world says, you need to like you. And Jesus says, you need to follow me. Well, I need some self-worth. I need to be built up in myself so I feel good about myself. And Jesus always brings the cross and says, I don't want you feeling good about yourself. I want you feeling good about me. My life is not in me anymore. I came to the cross. And there I'm crucified with Christ. Yet, not, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And my life is not my own anymore because I'm following him. And about the time I get real comfortable with where I'm at, I hear his voice say, come on and follow me. And I'm like, uh-oh, no, 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 no. Let me get in Gethsemane for a while. I'm going to pray this thing through. Watch it now. I'm going to pray till I feel differently about it. And suddenly you will. You know what took over? It wasn't to follow me, follow the Lord. It was the will that took over again. And I'm going to stay in the Garden of Gethsemane because it's the same place. The cross is not in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've got to get out of the garden to get to the cross and I'm not leaving the garden. Because I'm so secure right here and, and praying. And I'm sweating it out a little bit looking at that, but I'm not going there. And, and when they come to get me, I'm going to fight it. Like Peter, I'm going to get my sword out and start chopping off ears. Because I'm not leaving, man. I like this place. And the Lord said, no, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to get out of the garden. You're going to have to expose yourself to some things that God wants to do in your life. But really following Jesus, I guess it just means yielding to his will. And then ultimately, even in that garden, we begin to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And it's at that moment that the Lord comes to get us. Say, come on with me. Come on with me. We're going to the cross. Because you're not going a higher place in your spiritual life until you crucify some will. Come on, don't shout me down right now. I'm doing so good. You're never going to come into new revelation without a crucifixion of the will of your life. Say, God, I'm going to lay it down. Lord, I'm going to lay it down on that cross. I'm going to put it there. I don't care how long I've carried it. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the Lord, you have called me to hear, and now I want to follow you. If I'm going to go any further in you, I need to follow you, Lord. So I'm laying it down this morning. God, you've been talking to me, Lord, and you have been calling me, but, but my will says stay in Gethsemane. But my spirit says nevertheless, not my will, but thine, Lord. Then the verse in Galatians 5.24 has been fulfilled in us again. Those of Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with the passions and the desires that come along with my will. I will follow you, Lord, wherever you go to. 
no, I don't have a city. I don't have a house. I don't even have a bed to lay my head. But I want to follow you, Jesus. It's going to go deeper than that. Can you say amen? And in our following the Lord, the beautiful thing is, if we look at where, where Christ was, for the joy that was ahead of him that's on the other side of the cross. The cross is a picture of agony. It's a picture of pain. It's a picture of crucifying my will. But for the joy that is set before him, he endures the cross. He never had fun on the cross. He never like, oh, this is great. Just go ahead and crucify. This is great. No, he endures the cross. He despises the shame for the joy that's set on the other side of the cross. And we're here kicking against God and and, and I'm not, I don't want to go there. I don't want to get out and expose my will and, and go through that crucifixion thing again. Lord, no. But then we see the joy that's set on the other side of that in our life. I have never in my lifetime ever gone to that cross and, and, and crucified that will of mine that I didn't have the joy of the Lord on the other side. And this is the good thing. Sure, it's painful. Sure. Sure, it hurts us. Sure, we want to put down. We don't want to put down things that we like. We don't want to put down things that we've always desired, and things and and things are going good, Pastor. Why do you keep getting up and shaking things up? Because the Lord is calling to us day by day by day. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Don't stay where you're at. Follow me. And that takes a busting down of this old man. I guess in testimony, I would say that I hate it as much as anybody in this house. I don't like the cross. But I know on the other side of it, there's a great joy and there's a great revelation on the other side. If I can just get this flesh crucified and get him out of the way and get this, get this mind and this will and, and get him on that situated on the other side of that, there is going to be such a joy and a freshness and a newness of serving Jesus, that I'm going to keep on going again. Somebody said, well, you know, we just it's boring serving Jesus. It just, it just, you just go to church, and it's just the same old thing over and over. And the problem is that you've been locked into Gethsemane, and you can't get out to that cross to crucify that selfish will because you get that selfish will crucified, and then all freedom begins to burst up in your heart. You feel the joy of the Lord again. You feel the blessing of the Lord again. You feel the value of being in his things, in his service, in his kingdom, and, and all once once again, that refreshing goodness of God begins to overflood you and you live there for a while and then the Lord steps up and says, come on and follow me. I believe that God wants to do that in our life more than anything this morning. If we're in sin, God wants to forgive us. If we don't know him, he wants to bring us in. And once we, get to it, once we get there, he wants to lead us, and we follow him. Lord, I will follow you. There's an old, old song that came up to my mind. It says, take up the cross and follow me. I hear the blessed Savior call. How can I make a lesser sacrifice? 
when Jesus gave his all. Take up your cross and follow him. So what do I have to do to be a Christian? There it is. You just have to follow Jesus. And where he leads me, I will follow. Can you say amen? Where he leads me. And I'm thinking about, you know, my job. I'm thinking about the new car I'm going to buy. Wherever he leads me, you know, I'm going to follow him. The new house and whatever. I'm just going to follow Jesus. And, you know, that may be part. He may have be, And we surrender that to the Lord, and he works in that in our life. But really, to follow him is to take up your cross daily and get beside him. Amen. Get beside him. Uh, he's going to do such good things in our life, in this church, in this body, as we just learn more and more every day. You already know this. I didn't preach anything you didn't know this morning. You already know this. But if we'll act on it, God's going to move in our lives, individually and in the church together, when we take up the cross and follow Jesus. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? God bless you.